To celebrate the return of the Premier League, we're offering 40% off a subscription with The Athletic for a limited time only. Go to theathletic.com slash villapod to sign up for less than £3 a month. At The Athletic, we care about your club with a dedicated journalist for every team. So sign up now to enjoy unrivaled coverage and insight of all 20 sides as the season reaches its belated conclusion. Hello, welcome back to 1874, the podcast that brings you the definitive word on Aston Villa Football Club every single week. Now, I've got to apologise in advance because this podcast from me is probably a little bit raw. It's, it's straight after the game. We're trying to get a podcast out to you as soon as we can on the athlete. Greg, you've just got back from the ground. I'm imagining you're not going to be able to tell me anything that's going to cheer me up. Uh, no, unfortunately not, Dania. Obviously, very disappointed with with Villa's performance. Uh, I, I think in our in our last pod uh, just a few days ago after the Sheffield United game, we had uh, mixed emotions between us. Yeah. Didn't we? You, you were quite positive. I was mm, a little bit pessimistic, thinking that well, Villa have missed their chance against uh, Sheffield United. And to be honest, I'm sticking by that. I think that. As I said, after the Sheffield United game, I don't think Villa will have an easier game than they did against Sheffield United um, for the remaining now eight games of the season. Um, this was a Chelsea team that were fit and fired up, ready for it, um, and, and were miles better than Villa. To be honest, they, they didn't they yeah. didn't even have to be at their best to um, to, to, to get past Villa. Um, the one the one positive that I can take from 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 Villa's performance is I think they do look a little bit more solid, a bit more resolute now. I think that they're more organised. Um, I think that they're putting their bodies on the line a little bit more. They're they're cutting out passing lines and they're cutting out crosses into the box. Um, but there's just nothing going forward. They've got no enterprise whatsoever. They don't look like they're actually willing to go forward. Um, and unfortunately, uh, I'm John McGinn's biggest fan uh, and also Jack Grealish, to be honest. But uh, I thought John McGinn was probably the quietest player on the pitch tonight and uh, today. And I thought that Jack Grealish just didn't get involved as much as he could have either. Uh, yes, there are mitigating circumstances for both of those. The fact that uh, both of those players are, are on a team who had, what, 22, 23% possession. Uh, if I think that, that's yeah. A, yeah, that, that, you know, that's a point that we, you know, we need to make. And also nobody could really, none of the Villa players could get the ball to Grealish, which was just so annoying as well. Um, but yeah, just uh, nothing I really, nothing that, that surprised me to be honest, because Villa have been playing this way all season. So um, to lose 2-1 to Chelsea was what I expected anyway. But you're hearing behind the scenes, Greg, that like, They've used the break to study things. They've they've got together. There's a there's a feeling in the camp now that they know what they've they've got to do to get to get out of it. I know they've only lost two one, but today was probably it's arguably their worst display of the season because, like you said, there was nothing to get excited about going forward. You could perhaps argue that the first first half's game plan was executed reasonably well, just by the fact that we soaked up all the pressure. And then we did manage to to nick a goal and go one nil up. But as it so often is with Villa, you can see the goal, and then just for five minutes, just keep the ball, shut up shop, do do something. But we always find a way to concede another goal straight after. Yeah, the the, the fact that they conceded two goals so quickly was just so disappointing. Um, admittedly, Villa were a little bit lucky going into the break with the lead. I thought that thought that you know it was a, a, a draw, you know, goalless draw at the time probably would have been the fairest result. Um, thought that Villa defended very well. Chelsea pushed them quite hard, but you know Villa stuck to their guns and, and defended well, so that they deserve that draw at the break. The fact that they that they got the goal was you know was even better. But okay, you take that. The first goal, I think the second goal was probably the most 
most frustrating. Douglas Louise just seemed to lose his foot in a little bit or, or lose his runner. Um, it, it, it didn't look great from him. And then uh, Giroud obviously showed his class and, and why Villa wanted to sign him in January. I thought I thought he did very well holding the ball up today and causing some problems and, and obviously getting his goal, which which he would have wanted to do. Very surprised that Tommy Abraham didn't start, but you know clearly Giroud justified his, his place up front. It's a difficult one for me to say because you know I'm, I'm, I just feel that sometimes you, you see a different game when you're at the game rather yeah, than yeah. watching on, on TV. Now I know that I'm one of the sort of handful of, of people that that are at the game, and, and the majority of people that would have watched that game would have watched it on TV, so they would have seen a certain um, a certain style and, and, and frustration. But uh, I just feel Villa. I thought they worked harder than people are giving them credit for. To be honest, I thought that they were they were you know they were really fighting for each other. I can't say that you that the energy and and the effort isn't there. I just think they're no, lacking in quality. I just think they're just not quite good enough. And you know that's maybe an even more damning indictment of, of the actual team. But I just think it's the quality. I don't think it's the work rate. Right? I think they're all fighting for each other. They're all working really hard. They're all trying. To, uh, to pull the club out of trouble. I just don't think they're good enough. So Greg, we spoke about our sponsors on the podcast on Wednesday. Harry's that sponsors ITN 74. Really pleased to have them on board. Really good product as we were talking about on Wednesday. I understand you've actually managed to order yours. You've read your emails and, you, and you've ordered it now. <laughs> I've read my emails now. Yeah, I had a very busy week last week and they got a good, decent little site there. I had to look through uh, plenty of products and um, be trying to make myself look a bit fresher for the uh, for the next game. Yeah, make yourself look a little bit more presentable. And as a listener of 1874, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. The one I've got, I've got to say, it's a, it's a really good trial set. I'm looking forward to using it. You can also support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash 1874 right now. It's a mixed bag on social, to be honest. There's obviously those that are saying that the manager needs to go. He, he hasn't got a clue. I agree with you that I think recruitment across the season has been appalling. Now, at the start of the season, I was one of those that turned around and said, I understand why we've done what we've done because we, we simply needed too many players, didn't we? There was a lot of rebuilding to be done. We let a lot of players go in the summer. A lot of players were on loan. We needed to make, to make buys, but... Dean Smith, to me, he's, most of the players he's picked up a third, fourth choice signings from him. Some of them probably Suso signings. And like you say, I just don't think we're good enough. Dean Smith would have looked it on his bench today. And let's remember, we've got nine subs there. There's, but apart from Samata for Davis, there is nothing on that bench to change a game. You bring Trezeguet on for Algarzi, I don't think it makes a difference, if I'm being completely honest. There's nothing there to change it, Greg, and that, that says to me that recruitment in the in the summer and in January is bad. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I do feel sorry for, for the recruitment team to, to, to an extent because um, there was only a certain amount of money that they were able to spend and they did have to get a hell of a lot of players in through the door. So they were averaging at, at 10, 11 million pounds of signing and in this day and age, in this modern transfer window, you don't get a, a fantastic player for that. Unfortunately, you have to really, um, you know, go and go and do some digging and fo- unearth some talents. So, fortunately, that Villa just haven't managed to to do that so well in, in the transfer window. But you know, there, there are mitigating circumstances. I do feel sorry for them in some respects. Um, 
I just look at some of the players that he was trying that Dean Smith was 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 interested in. You know, Neil Morpai, Saeed Ben Rama, both from both from Brentford. Two players that that Villa would have got if they were prepared to pay the money for them. Now they just they just couldn't pay that money because of the, the FFP um, situation hanging over them. They just couldn't go over the top and spend all that money. The only way they could do that is by reducing the amount of players that they signed, going for quality over quantity, and then maybe mixing in a couple of the youngsters. But if you get a couple of injuries like Villa have, then it's going to leave them really short. Um, obviously, they went for Tammy Abraham, couldn't afford him, and he wanted to stay at, um, stay at Chelsea. They wanted to get Axel Twanzebi back on loan, or, or at least sign, or, or even sign him. Couldn't get him back for Manchester United. There were there were players they went for, but they had to be prepared to put the money in to get them. Unfortunately, that money just wasn't available. They were not prepared to um, to break the bank, and it's 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 showing now in that team. Unfortunately, the, the, there are there are a couple of players there that are, that are stand up players and that will play well in the Premier League and and continue to play in the Premier League when Villa are relegated. Um, but there's some others that will, will drop down in value, unfortunately. But And that was the whole idea of the, the purchase in the summer. I remember Christian Perslow saying, we've bought players that are going to only increase in value. It's a smart transfer strategy. We ain't won for seven games. It's not looking that smart to me. At the, at the moment, and think of think of like someone like Gary Cahill who was available on on a free. It would have been a similar signing to the way we brought Tom Heaton in in goal. Not so much the last two games, but defensively across the entirety of the season, the difference someone like Gary Cahill would have made. I don't think you can put a price on that. A free transfer. I know he would have been high in wages, but do you know what I mean? The difference some someone like him in the club would have made. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at it now, if I insight, and, and I watched Crystal Palace, I watched every game, every Premier League game over the, over the last few days, and um, Gary Cahill stood out for me for Crystal Palace. I thought he played, thought he played really well. He was leading the club, leading the team forward. He's been a, he's been that leader that, that Crystal Palace wanted. The situation for Villa back in the summer was that they weren't prepared to give him a two-year contract, and that's what he wanted. Um, you know, Villa thought that they could get better value in signing young and hungry players. That's why they signed Hawes and Mings and, and Konza. Um, the three of them, to be honest, I, I didn't think have a bad game today. I didn't think they played particularly bad against Sheffield United either. But just think that it's. I just think that when Villa seem to get something right and they seem to just shut up shop today and and, and almost get that right, they they restricted the amount of shots on goal because that's something that. We've all been highlighting before the break. Villa are too open. Villa are allowing too many shots at their goal. Um, too many chances created against them. That those numbers have dropped now, but they're just not doing anything at the other end, which is the most frustrating thing to see. And and obviously to watch it on TV when there's just no uh, attacking sort of enterprise, it, it, it's so frustrating for fans. I could totally understand that. But I just I just felt a Villa part today. It was one of these games where they really missed the crowd. The crowd wouldn't have let them perform like that for, for, for long periods of time. The crowd would have got on their back and urged them forward and pulled them forward and dragged them in towards the halt. And they missed that today because at times it was just a little bit too easy for them, it felt, just to sort of sit back and soak it up. You're saying we missed the crowd. We missed the ball as well. The stats flashed up at one point and we're sitting there on 16% possession in, in the second half. And yeah, whether you're playing Chelsea or whether you're playing Cheltenham, you don't win anything with 16% of, of possession. It, it, it's no good. And... Jack at the first half was basically playing as a right back from what I could see. I don't know what 
what it looked like from your vantage point, but he seemed like he was playing as a, as a right wing back in the first half. I've no idea what the game plan was behind having him on the right-hand side anyway. And he's got taken a bit of stick on social media, saying that he's, his head's gone, he's, he's, he's elsewhere. But what is a player like Jack Grealish supposed to do in that setup? He's just got no chance. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one for him. I watched him quite closely. He was swapping sides in the first half, played on the right and on the left. Um, didn't really get involved in the game. Couldn't really, just didn't get much uh, service to him. The ball was hardly ever passed to him. Um, there was a small little, a brief spell, about I don't know, 30 minutes into the game where, where Villa seemed to show a bit of um, a bit of spark going forward. Grealish won a couple of fouls. Um, but, but other than that, he just didn't really get on the ball enough, didn't do too much. Um, yeah, I, I wrote about him uh, after after the last game, and you know, I, I, st- I stick by that. The information that I, I've received is that he'll be looking to leave at the end of the season. You know, regardless of whether Villa stay up or not, he desperately wants Villa to stay in this division. He's trying, he's trying everything. I mean, a little bit of frustration it seemed at the end where he got booked. Although I don't think he even touched Alonso. I haven't seen the, the replays back, but it, it didn't look like he touched him for the for the late booking. But that that shows his frustration again. Um, I just think that this, this, maybe the system isn't quite working for him there. I, I know that he hates to be called a, a left winger because he feels that like he, he's better in a more central role. And I think maybe in the Newcastle game, which he's now definitely a must win, um, maybe maybe it's time to play him in the centre again because it hasn't really worked for him the last two weeks. Pretty much the only way Keenan could have communicated with the rest of our team in that first half was to write them a letter because there was no one else any, anywhere near him trying to get a letter delivered because he couldn't have spoken to any of them. Because there was literally nobody close to him. And I think you're right in saying that in the next game, Jack probably needs to play closer to the centre forward. But this is where I hark back to the summer again. Like, I think the summer's where we've lost Jack Grealish because we've not recruited well enough. And now that we've not shown any indication that we're, we're heading in the right direction in the Premier League in the long term. So he's a Champions League player. Villa are light years away from being the Champions League. And, and I saw people giving you a bit of stick for your article saying it wasn't, wasn't the right time or whatever. But... It's a fact. Villa are nowhere near the level Jack Grealish needs to play at, so he won't be there next season. Well, yeah, this is it. And look, you know, I did receive a bit of stick um, on, on social media from some, some, some of the fans saying that, um, you know, the media are trying to move Jack Grealish on. I desperately want Jack Grealish to stay at Aston Villa. I love watching and, and reporting on him most weeks. And it's the first time I've actually written about his uh, future for the athletic at length. So, you know, we're, we're, it's a 38 game season and, and I, I've chosen to write about him after 29 games um, when I've got all my information and all, all my facts right. So let's just wait and see at the end of the season. You know, don't want to focus too much on that. The, the, the story was written. That's the situation. You know, he's most likely to leave at the end of the season rather than stay regardless of the division that Villa are in. Um, but there's still eight games left to go. And I suppose the one you know the ones the Villa saving grace might just be that the teams around them are all struggling as well. You know, I watched Norwich and Bournemouth; that those two um, were, were particularly poor. I thought, yeah, I still think West Ham have got quite a bit of quality in there and, and and might be able to get away get out of it if they can get through the next couple of games they've got some tough games but then they've got a really favorable fixture schedule towards the end of their fixture list coming up so so let, let's see whether they you know they can or not obviously I think Villa now would take going to West Ham last game of the season knowing that a winner keep them up I think that I think they'd take it now just in the situation they're in Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part 
of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Obviously, you you were at the game. Have you, what was Dean Smith saying afterwards? I've I've seen little snippets on Twitter, but I've not seen too too much from him. Although what was coming out is that he was quite happy with the display. The uh, expression from him was that he restrict he felt that his side restricted Chelsea to a limited amount of chances. Uh, he felt that because the, the, the Villa, even though Villa only had 25% possession or whatever it was, he, he claimed that his side had more shots on target than Chelsea and that was a positive. He felt that there were plenty of positives to take from it. I mean, whether he's just trying to dress it up nicely and try and build some positivity, I don't know. If he, if he actually believes that, then, um, you know, clearly what they're doing on the training ground is working for him and, um, you know, that, that he feels they're not far off. I just think they needed a bit more attacking enterprise as I say they just they didn't do anything they didn't really lay a glove on Chelsea and it was um yeah quite hard to watch at times but I, I do agree with him that they look tighter than um before the break I mean but that is the only positive yeah that was the po- that was the main positive I took away from from Sheffield United but <laughs> there's just nothing going forward and I don't I don't think personally you can, you can gloss over that you are not going to win a football match playing in in that way and we just look so toothless at front when 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 we do attack at the moment I've I'm worried for Wednesday if I'm being perfectly honest it's all set up for Steve Bruce to to do one over his former employees isn't it yeah well I mean Villa have got a decent record against Steve Bruce since he left um so you know that that's one good omen um the worrying thing for me is that you know Villa have um uh, haven't won you know for the past six games and there's eight games remaining now and they're expected to but they probably they need four, three or four wins, and to 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 think that they need to win half of their remaining games and haven't won in the last six, it's you just can't see how they're going to do it. No fixtures, I would say, aren't brilliant. Yeah, there's still some really really hard games in there, and we've still got this thing where we can't do anything against the the top teams in the top half of the league. I think we've taken two points all season from the the top half of the Premier League and fair enough if you're beating the teams around you that that's not a problem but in general we've we've not really done that either have we? No Villa are the only team in the division that haven't beaten a top half team and the fact that they've got five of the last eight games against top ten teams is, is a real worry a real concern to me for me you know I watched Wolves I watched Man United um, I, I think Man United have bought rings around that Villa team unfortunately and, and I think Wolves will, will have too much for them as well uh, Crystal Palace are a side that are very well organised you, you know what a Roy Hodgson side is going to be like so they're not going to give up anything easily um, you just hope that there's enough games you know, in between that, that they can get it Arsenal look a little bit vulnerable and then you've got Everton and Newcastle so there are still opportunities for Villa. It's not all doom and gloom. There's still eight games to go, a lot of points to play for, but it's just hard to put up a case for them at the moment. Yeah, that's literally the only thing I can think of to say is that obviously looking at how far we are from coming out of the bottom three, it's, it's far from impossible. So things can change very quickly in football and Aston Villa Football Club really, really need things to change. Yeah, look, they can't get down this season. It's... Um, 
it will knock them back a good few years. You know, that they will need to be a rebuild, a serious rebuild. They'll lose their best players. Um, and, you know, you, you just wonder what's going to happen after that. That You've got the FFP worries hanging over them, financial uncertainty that the coronavirus crisis has brought. Um, and then you start to wonder whether the owners still feel as energised as a championship club. Yeah, they were willing to take over the club when they were in the championship, but... You know that they they had a bright vision to to establish this club in the Premier League. If they if they fail at the first attempt, how long do they stick around? Yeah, I've got to say, I'd love to know what they're thinking at the moment. They've obviously invested heavily. I mean, if you're looking to criticise people around the football club, I'm pretty sure the owners are at the bottom of most people's lists. They're the last to criticise. Yeah, I mean, you know, every 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 club employee I speak to say that they're absolutely wonderful and, and staff members who have been in football for a long time say that, you know, they're, they're fantastic owners to work for. And I'm sure Villa fans will all agree that they've done an incredible job transforming this club and pumping in the money and saving them when they were, you know, on, on really on their legs. So you just begin to wonder there, don't you? I mean, Wes Edens, for example, the uh, you know, co-owner of Milwaukee Bucks as well, no NBA at the moment, uh, no basketball over there. So it's going to be taking a hit, isn't it? So... Yeah, he's a winner as well. He's a massive, massive winner and he won't like sitting there watching a team that's associated with him losing every single week. He doesn't really stand for that kind of thing in the NBA and you look at the work he's done with with the books completely, obviously not on his own, but he completely turned them around and they're a, they're a prime franchise now and one of the most exciting teams in the NBA. So I just, a penny for his thoughts because you don't, you're a businessman, you're a successful businessman. You don't like putting in money and getting let down and I've got to be honest, what he's, what he's seen this season, I think he probably feels very let down. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, it's not all over. There's, there's, there's still a way to go, but um, it's starting to become a concern, unfortunately, for Villa. They, they need to win. They need to win on Wednesday, um, and then hope they can get some other results along the way as well. Well, we'll be back on Wednesday to dissect the game at St James's Park after after we've watched it. You're, you're not there, actually, are you, on Wednesday, Greg? No, I won't be going on Wednesday. Unfortunately, uh, probably not going to too many away games unless. Uh, Unless Villa desperately need to win to stay in the league, then you know, we might have a rethink. But I'll be watching it from the comfort of my own home. Yeah, well, we'll watch it and we'll get on here and come on 1874 and, and dissect what we've seen. Hopefully, it's a more enjoyable podcast than, than today's been. I'd love to know what the ratio is of enjoyable podcasts talking, talking about Villa since we started. <laughs> to be honest, I, ima- I imagine that's not great, but it is always a pleasure to talk to you. I always enjoy hearing what you've got to say post-match after a game. So thanks for joining me, Greg. Yeah, cheers, Dan. Let's hope for a more positive one next week.